Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world and ancient things. I am Thomas Magby, joined as always with AJ Hannenberg, yep. who is chomping on some delightful sea salt and cracked black pepper crackers, and Graham Donaldson, hey. who is not chomping on crackers right now. I'm chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bit to end communism today. That's right, because today is Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Rocky, where Rocky um, beats up um, Drago, no, uh-huh. or Drago dies or something, I can't remember. Um, Drago Malfoy? Drago Malfoy, No, not, yes. not the different yeah, exactly. one. He yeah. goes to ru- communist Russia, and uh-huh. he punches the Russian robot man, mm-hmm. and then has this Im- impassioned speech to all of the communist leaders who are sitting, like, in the nosebleed sections looking down on him, and he's like, we can get along! Uh, just we like, have free market systems or whatever <laughs> and says that. I don't I don't think that's exactly what he said. Uh, and Rocky Four ends communism. It's a great movie. Great. Um, so because this, Apollo uh, Apollo Creed no. Yeah, Apollo Creed gets killed by Drago. I can't remember. I've never seen this yeah. movie. Anyway. Hey, you've never seen Rocky Four? It's never, so I've only, good. I've only seen the first Rocky. It's good. So, it is. Sorry. It has one of the best training montages in all of film. For and sure. It, and it's Rocky Better like chopping Rocky wood oh, wow. and like hauling logs in the woods and Drago is like hooked up to you know like old ataris <laughs> and that's how <laughs> like he gets green trained. screened pcs uh-huh. and he's, uh, he's punching things that measure the power yeah. of his punches and he's doing speed bags and running around some sort of space age circle track yeah is, is it a good good movie or a good bad movie it's a good good movie I think it's a good good movie okay it's good um, and, and rocky is he he's like you gotta lesson. get away his trainer's like you gotta get away from all the stuff you gotta go into the woods and do Burgess it burgess meredith so is that the same one from the first? I think Rogers Meredith has died. Oh. Had died at that point, and they got a new one. Oh, bummer. so he goes off into the woods and is like just lifting weight in general. It's yeah, not specific. He's not. He's doing no math. He's just like I'm going to haul these twelve logs twelve miles and does it that way. Yeah. So speaking of twelve logs and twelve miles, how about how about the Plantagenets? That's right, boys. Okay. Today we are coming back to part four of our long, long-standing what? Plantagenet oh. series. Yes. Um, we have had adorable 12 year old boys emailing us, telling us how much they enjoy hearing about the Kings of England. So we're doing it for you. Um, so it's been a little while since we've done a Plantagenet. So just to recap what happened last time, we talked about poor Henry III. He was a pious and religious man. He was a little bit of like a sack of wet wool when it came to being a king. Um, didn't really do all that much. And um, really just wanted to build churches and pray, and uh, if he could be, he could be. He wanted to be a monk. Um, i.e. live the dream. And i.e. live the dream. Yes. But, um, so, um, and then so he uh, had a son named Edward I, and Edward I came to power after a big old duel between Simon de Montfort, who wanted to be king. You can all go listen all about it. Um, uh, and then Edward I, known as Edward Longshanks, the hammer of the Scots, becomes king, and he is a piece of work. Not a good man, not a very nice man, um, but a relatively good king. Um, and we told a little bit of his story, and he sires a son named Edward II, who becomes um, uh, king of England. Um, and Edward I is not all that impressed with his boy, with his son. Mm -hmm. Um, History often depicts Edward II as being really sort of effeminate, but he he wasn't. He was actually strong and handsome like his father, a relatively good warrior, Um, but every chronicler who talks about Edward II says that he cared about just 
the things, the wrong things that, uh, that rulers are supposed to care about. So instead of, so he was fit and athletic, but he liked rowing and swimming and um, and those sorts of things as opposed to um, like fighting and, and martial you know, hunting and, you know, sports of kings. He kind of like what people consider to be baser things. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Edward II, he was, he was handsome. He was strong. Um, but he had one flaw that was going to dictate his whole reign. And that flaw was that he picked favorites. And he let people, when he had let someone into their sphere, he completely gave in to whatever they demanded of him. He um, had absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out, remember what that word is, but he had absolutely no um, sort of judgment when it came to his friends. So the problem is that he had favorites or that he, like, doesn't everyone, everyone has favorites, right? Everyone has favorites, but he let those favorites completely sway his decision making. Oh, got it. So um, there's going to be two favorites that kind of dictate his life. And the first one is the most famous. Mm-hmm. And so when Edward, before, when Edward I, Longshanks was still alive... Wait, and, roundabout, what time are we talking about? So, um, the 1300. So, I think Edward I dies around like 1307 or something okay. like that. Um, so, the year 1300. Um, so, Edward I is still king. He's an old king. And Edward II, um, uh, so Edward I had some battles in France and some battles in Scotland and some battles in the Middle East, uh, in the Levant. And... Um, Um, There was a French nobleman who had a son, and that son helped Edward I in many battles. This son was a couple years older than Edward I's boy, Edward II. So, um, and this young nobleman who was um, sort of a picture of chivalry, and he was a a good fighter and handsome and... um, uh, proud and arrogant, you know, all good things that Edward I liked. Uh-huh. Um, and his name was Piers Gaveston. And Piers Gaveston got invited to Edward I's court. With a name like Piers, Piers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you just, you're going to be good. Yeah. Like you play, you play tennis. Yes. With a name yes. like Piers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you so, play some tennis. Mm-hmm. But don't you also hate this person for having the name Pierce? A little bit. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah well, you want to, and then you find but, out that he's actually pretty genial. <laughs> and and he, he you hate him for having a yacht, but then he invites you on to uh, it. Like, that's Pierce. Yeah, but Pierce, this guy, oh, Pierce Gavison, you guys buckle up. All right, so. <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. He may have been a sorcerer. Okay. Wait, I'm um, sorry, what? <laughs> but so, you like him for it, is the thing. So, Pierce gets invited to King Edward I's court, and Edward I, we sort of, uh, historians kind of think that Edward I, wanted Pierce to rub off on his son uh, because Edward II was not into the, the, the sort of the manly things of being a, a king. And remember, Edward I is a, just a jerk bag. Like he right. is, he rules with fear, um, but he's but he's good at it. He's not a tyrant, um, but he wants, so, you know, the story is he once frightened a man to death mm-hmm. uh, just by being mad at him. What? Yeah. That's so cool. the, the guy came I into, details. so this person did something wrong and came into the king's presence and the king, um, uh, the king, uh, uh, um, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, uh, I can't remember the details of it, but uh, he was he sort of frowned at him and, and insinuated that he was going to, um, you know, punish him. And the guy was so scared he died. <laughs> that, I mean, he probably had cholesterol issues. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's really what it was. Anyway, so Piers Gavison comes in. He is supposed to be um, supposed to uh, uh, um, rub off on Edward II. And Edward II takes an immediate shining to him. And they become 
thick as thieves, they become brothers, basically. Um, Edward II goes to his father and says, I want to give Piers Gaveston um, a, uh, a piece of land in France, Ponthieu, or Pointhieu, I can't remember how to pronounce it. Um, and Edward I flips. He's like, you are giving away the land that I that I took. Um, he berates his son, and legend has it that he actually beat up his son and oh. tore out chunks of his hair and Ooh. threw him out of the room. Hmm. Um, Not a great guy. Yes. Um, so uh, Edward II is like, fine, when I'm king, I can do what I want, and he sort of waits until his dad dies. Well, his dad eventually dies, and Edward II becomes king of England. Um, one historian, you know, the historians have said that he cared, or he was concerned not with chivalry, but only with his own desires. Mm. Um, um, and he, Edward II, inherited a well-functioning, awesome kingdom. His father had put down the Scots. His father had put down the Welsh. His father had built up this huge network of castles to basically keep the Welsh at bay. And he ruled with an iron fist and instituted a lot of actually good laws that sort of consolidated power for the crown. So Edward II inherits a pretty well-functioning, awesome kingdom and then goes about destroying it. Great. Um, so he shows favoritism. So um, he, uh, so Piers Gaveston essentially becomes his confidant. There have always been rumors that he and Piers Gaveston were lovers. We have no ideas to whether or not that happened. Everybody in their day insinuated it. Um, but well, I've seen Braveheart and that's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's, yeah exactly. Right, Braveheart, exactly. They, they, they put that in Braveheart for sure. Um, question, does mm -hmm. he have a nickname, this second guy? So we have Edward the First Longshanks. Is he like Shortshanks? No, no. He has no nickname, <laughs> at least not one that has stuck throughout history. Okay. Um, but anyway. I'm just so, trying to help everybody keep that Edward straight. appreciate that. Yeah. Do, you, well, do you a favor. Edward really, the First, really Longshanks is dead. We don't need to worry about him anymore. So when I talk about Edward, it is King Edward the Second. The Shortshanks. Um, so he, so Piers Gaveston, model of knightly chivalry. And the, the bond was a, a one of unhealthy closeness. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. So if a nobleman came into the room to talk to Edward II, and if Piers Gaveston happened to be there, Edward II would only talk to Piers Gaveston. Mm. He wouldn't even address the noble in the room. So Piers Gaveston had enough charisma that um, and enough hold and sway over Edward II that Edward II could not ever get out of his orbit. Um, uh, Edward II was very pliable and Piers Gaveston was very charismatic and arrogant. And so um, he had the king wrapped around his finger and this was a huge political problem for right. England. Right. Because um, you have this nobleman, he's not even English, you have this Frenchman. Uh, and of course, all, most of the nobles can trace their lineage back to France and Normandy. Um, but you have this person coming in and he is leading the king. So yes, there was rumors that maybe they were lovers. There was also rumors that Piers Gavison was somehow a sorcerer who did some sort of dark magic to get the king to be in his orbit. Um, so I'll give you another example of of the um, just how close Piers Gaveston um, had um, um, saw himself as you know basically the second king of England. Um, and this is actually a story that creates a huge problem down the line and one of the best revenge stories of all time. Okay. And we'll get to it oh, in yeah. today's? Okay. Today's episode. So um, Edward II 
um, was being coronated. So when his father died, Edward II was becoming king of England. Um, and so the first thing that they did was they married him off to somebody. So they married him off to Isabella of France. So she was a princess of the French crown, and she had a pretty close um, a claim on the French throne. So her father was the king of France, and um, um, and she there was no uh, at, at the point when Isabella married Edward, there was no child, uh, no brother to inherit the throne. So she has a pretty close claim to the the excuse me the throne of France. She marries Edward II, and she is only 12 years old. So she marries him at 12. I don't know if you consider it betrothed or married. She marries him at 12, and so as a 12-year-old girl, she is the queen of England at the coronation of her husband, at the coronation of the king. This is supposed to be a time where the colors of France and the colors of England are commingled in, you know, in the tapestries, and the coronation is supposed to celebrate these two people. Um, um, so the, all of the pomp and circumstance of the coronation happen, and there is a certain way that you coronate a king. Right. Like the person who gets to carry the crown has to be one of your best nobles. The person that leads the procession has to be one of the h- tallest nobles. You pour oil um, on his head like a salad. You pour oil <laughs> on his head. You anoint his sword what? arm. The king usually comes in, walks in barefoot. There is a p- proper way to do this. Um, and Edward II completely let Pierre's Gaveston run the coronation and do whatever he wanted. So, um, the coronation goes where uh, uh, the King Edward II came in barefooted like he was supposed to be, um, walking on a, uh, a bed of flowers down the aisle to be coronated. But he was, but the procession, the person who held the crown was not... Edward II's um, noble uncle or whatever, mm-hmm. Piers Gaveston walked in holding the crown. Now, here is somebody who is just a knight. He, do- he doesn't even have a title. Oh. And he is coming in carrying the crown? the crown of Edward the Confessor, like holding the most sacred crown of England um, to crown Edward II. Um, so he comes in, he leads the procession, and there was no two ways about it. The only way that this could have been construed was insulting to all of the nobles. Edward II is putting his stakes in the ground and saying, Pierre's Gaveston is a strong force, political force in in our country or in our kingdom. Pierre's Gaveston is dressed, it says that he was resplendent as Mars, dressed in golden armor. Um, And then um, um, uh, he he actually crowns Edward II, when everybody freaks out, and then he leads, and then Pierre's Gaveston leads the procession of the coronation out of, and this is, this is a huge insult. So all of the nobles are grumbling and they are upset because here is somebody that has completely bucked tradition. He is basically saying to the nobles, I don't care about your needs. Um, you serve me and I can do whatever I want. There's no give and take. There's no, I give you honor, you give me honor. It's you're giving me all the honor and I will give you whatever scraps I see fit. And I have my favorites. So Piers Gaveston leads. And I'll bestow power how I want to bestow it because shouldn't the person who gives the crown hold some sort of power in the kingdom? Yes. Right? And this is just some random guy. Yes. So um, the random guy gets to lead the coronation (laughs) procession out and uh, everyone's super grumpy about it. And that maybe would have been okay if that had been the end of it. But then came the feast that night. 
So all the nobles come into the feast room, and it's supposed to be the celebration Did he of... carve the turkey? No. <laughs> He's the one that got the wishbone? <laughs> he got yeah, he got it. the wishbone. Um, it's supposed to be the celebration of Isabella of France and Edward II of England. Um, and so when they come in and they immediately look around the room, they realize something is amiss. It is not the banner of... Edward and Isabella. It's just a big it is picture the, of Pierce Gavin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. it is the banners, Wait, the colors his of his family. It is the colors of Edward II and of Pierce Gaveston's family what? adorning what? the hall. That's crazy. Not Why? okay. So everyone look. So they come in and. Uh, Edward II and Piers Gavison basically just talk and laugh and joke with each other the whole night and they're like throwing bones on the ground and they're getting drunk and they're drinking and all the nobles are very quietly sitting, you know, seething with rage, eating their food. Um, it's this huge elaborate affair with like, you know, they're eating swans and and they're, uh, um, they have pies that have birds that fly out of them. And um, this is the thing that happened. How do you really? do that? That's How is that accomplished? It sucks for the bird. Yeah, yeah. I bet. That's why they're flying away. It's hot in there. Yeah, it's warm in there. Um, and all eyes turned to the ch- poor, sad, downcast 12-year-old girl sitting there. Her colors of her kingdom, her family are not even flying in England. And everyone assumes that Isabella is... Um, just doomed for a crappy life because she's married to somebody that seems to want to have nothing to do with her. It's Mm -hmm. a political marriage. She's far away from home. She's a 12-year-old girl. She's sitting there and she's powerless and just sort of, um, you know, sadly eating her soup or whatever. (laughs) And then her husband and his best friend, maybe lover, are, you know, laughing and mocking everything and just sort of having a, a big old time. Not cool. Right. And then, um, so, um, well, so then when this happens, uh, uh, Edward II uh, has a problem in Scotland, and this is the rise of a Scottish king um, named Robert the Bruce. And you may have heard of Robert the Bruce. He is also in the um, Braveheart movies. The there's, a new, there's a new movie about him, which I haven't seen. It's on Netflix that stars Captain Kirk as oh. Robert Bruce. The new Captain Kirk, not the old Captain Kirk. Yeah, the new oh, Captain Kirk. Oh, <laughs> that makes a lot of oh, sense. Oh, man. Wait, William Shatner's Robert very Bruce. Different movie. Movie. Like, what? I've um, seen, I turned it on in the background. And, and you good? Like when I was grading papers. I don't know. I only saw parts <laughs> yeah, of it. Good. It was just sort of there. general like battle sounds in the yeah, background. Yeah, I'm, I'm. There's just a, a general lack of knowledge of the Middle Ages that yes. it's just like if you just give them armor and a sword and then <laughs> have big pitched battles, that's going to be entertaining enough. Yeah. When there's so much cool political stuff going on that it doesn't take all that long to describe anything. I think they do a good job anyway, of capturing the intrigue in this. Well, that's one. good. Okay, so there's there's this uh, upstart named Robert the Bruce up in Scotland. So Edward II knows that he's going to have to take care of business up there during his reign. So years pass from the coronation and there's rumblings and he's got to sort of figure this thing out. And meanwhile, Piers Gaveston is, you know, closely entangling himself in all of the politics of the day. Um, then there was this big decision that Edward II needed to make. There was a um, earldom, later called dukedom. That's more the French word. Um, so we'll just call it the duke, even though it was an earl back then. There was a dukedom of Cornwall, and that needed to be bestowed upon somebody. And the Duke of Cornwall was perhaps one of the highest offices in England at the time. It was an ancient and really and highly revered um, uh, uh, dukedom. It was one that was sort of um, almost was mythic in its in its symbolism of who was going to hold it. Um, it should be held by kings. It should be held by the son of kings. Um, it should be the place where they prepare themselves uh, to be rulers. Um, 
uh, it was it was a, high, a, a a vast symbol. I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of it would be today. Maybe um, like what is the office that you hold in in uh, a political administration that kind of signals that you are the next in charge? Maybe Secretary of State, okay, or something like that. You know, it is it is not something that you bestow lightly, right? Um, and of course, who does Edward II give it to? His janitor? Yeah, not his. I mean, essentially. So yes, of course, he gives it to Piers. He gives Pierce. it to Piers Gaveston. Right. So Piers Gaveston, in one foul stroke, goes from knight, handsome knight, to one of the most powerful regents in England. Um, it was the position that carried with it that if the king was gone. Or uh, that uh, the person who was the Duke of Cornwall would essentially be the king mm. in the king's absence. Oh, so it's the vice pres. Yeah, but with peers just made vice presy. But it's but it's but no, it's not as lame as vice president. Oh, great, wow. it's got power. We really should. I feel like we should rename that and to to what Duke of Cornwall. Okay, <laughs> it sounds a lot cooler. President and Duke of yep. Cornwall. Good. I like. Um, it. You will know Cornwall as the place in England where they talk like pirates. Ah, yes. that's the that's the um, that's that accent. Ah, from Cornwall. <laughs> That's Cornwall. Anyway, thank you. Wonderful. Fun fact. Thank you. Fun fact for you. All. Mateys. Yes, exactly. So Piers Gaveston is essentially the regent of England at this point. Um, uh, this is uh, everyone's ticked. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the people for whom this should be the position was angry. The person most angry um, um, was uh, a gentleman by the name of. Uh, Thomas Earl of Lancaster. That's a good name. And thus rises the House of Lancaster. Actually, before we move on to Thomas Earl of Lancaster, I just have a couple oh, I've more. Heard the House of Lancaster. Before. I have a couple more things <laughs> that we need to talk about with, um, with back at that coronation. Things that I forgot. Um, so Isabella got a bunch of wedding presents. Uh-huh. She got jewels and she got um, um, you know crown. You know, she got beautiful jewels and wedding presents. Edward II gave them to Piers Gaveston. Oh, no. Isn't that no, terrible? No, what? Yes. Come on. He gave even like dresses and stuff? Not dresses, but he gave like jewels and and, and fancy things and money and, you know, like, I don't know, things. Toasters. Things princesses know, get at weddings yep. like greyhounds and uh, elephants crystal, and stuff. Like a pet monkey. Like hers and his yep. towels. Anyway, he gave it to Piers Gaveston uh-huh. just to be, for him to be richer. And uh, anyway, so. That's not okay. You not just have all. to imagine yeah. that this 12-year-old girl is just seething with her anger and rage. Okay, yeah, keep, her, keep her I in I feel like mind. she could have taken the weird coronation feast so long as she had presents to open. But mm, No, but she does. And she opens them. She's like, what a beautiful necklace. And the king's like, let me see that. And, and then, then gives, it away. gives it away. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, she's, so she mm-hmm. gets revenge. Yes. Okay, good. That's that's one surefire oh. way to make a 12-year-old girl hate <laughs> Very you. Okay. Yeah. So as, as uh, Pierce Gaveston is getting the earldom and the dukedom of Cornwall, the country is in severe political instability. Edward II goes off to Scotland. So just keep that in the back of your mind right now. Edward II has got his army and he's going off to try to uh, throw down with Robert Bruce up in Scotland. All right. We now have Thomas Earl of Lancaster. Thomas Earl of Lancaster Lancaster is a direct descendant of Henry III. So we know about him, the the really pious king. Mm -hmm. So So he's got king blood. He's got king blood. And he's also a direct descendant of the French king Louis VIII. Mm. So So he's got second king blood. He's got... Blood, he's got cl- not claims on both thrones because he's like nephew twice, you know, he's he's far away, but he is 
a big player in the politics of England and also has, as a player in the politics of France. Um, his French connection is not going to be all that important for this story, but the fact it's that the movie. House of Lancaster French has... Connection. That's a good movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. thanks. The fact that the House of Lancaster has like very tenuous claims on the throne of France will become more important later on. Anyway, okay. um, but not today. <laughs> so Thomas Le- uh, Earl of Lancaster comes in and he's probably the one that should have got the dukedom of Cornwall. He should have been Duke of Cornwall, but he's not. So he hates Piers Gaveston. Um, while Edward II is in France, um, Lancaster decides that he's just going to banish Gaveston. Um, there's nothing. The, the king is away. The king's not in France, or the king's in Scotland. He's just going to ba- banish Gaveston. So um, he banishes him. Uh, they had ban- tried to banish him once before, and it didn't really work. Right, um, right. Actually, he had been banished before Edward became king, and the first thing Edward did when he became king was to unbanish right. Piers Gaveston. He was banished to Ireland and came back. This time, um, the Earl of Lancaster tried to banish him um, out of. England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and the known world. I think they added to that. Um, But anyway. You live in Siberia now. Um, But Piers Gaveston went to Belgium and hung out there for a little bit. And when the king found out after two weeks, brought him back and basically said, don't you do that again to Lancaster. Um, Lancaster is, so um, Piers Gaveston is back in England. Having been banished, Lancaster is in a position where he's like, okay, he's been banished and he's back. Is he against the law because he had been banished basically on like sort of trumped up charges? Mm. Um, is he against the law or is he is he untouchable because he's the king's favorite? So Lancaster had to weigh these sorts of things. Um, to make the decision easier, Lancaster used a lot of political leverage and money to convince the Pope to excommunicate Piers Gaveston. That does make things easier. So he yeah. got him excommunicated. If he's no longer a Christian, that's tough. Insinuating, you know, that um, either he was, he got the king's head all turned around with dark magic, or he got the king's tur- head turned around because of uh, sodomy and love affair. Whatever it was that Lancaster uh, convinced the Pope, he convinced the Pope that this this dude was, was trouble for the realm. And the Pope was like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, excommunicated. <laughs> um, so now Piers Gaveston is... In England, with an, a, and excommunicated, which means he is fair game for any Christian, and you don't your sins don't count <laughs> at that point. Apparently, um, so, so they can just kill him. They now? can kill him, oh, and, and there's, there's not no going to penalty. be. It's not. There's not that. There's no penalty. It's just like any sort of eternal penalty is. You could claim piety, and people would be like, oh, "Okay, I guess so." <laughs> So it, is it the kind of thing where kids will just randomly shoot ar- arrows at him just for kicks? Or yeah. do you still have to kind of figure out how to do this politically? you got to figure out how to do this politically. So Lancaster knows that if he takes him and tries him, he could, uh, as someone who should have been banished but isn't, like he has the church's tenuous blessing, but, but the he's out of him. moral. Right. He's, he's doing something immoral. Like he, should, he, I mean, he knows that what he's doing is, is if he goes after Piers Gaveston is going to create a firestorm with the king, right? There's, Piers Gaveston actually didn't do anything wrong. He was just out of political favor. And you can't murder people that you're out of political favor with. Um, 
Um, you just can't straight up murder them. That had not really been done in England. Um, there had been rule and law and precedent that you just don't straight up murder your political opponents. It's a good that rule. is moving into something darker. Yeah. Seems pretty straightforward. Lancaster straight up murders his political mm. opponents. There it is. Okay. So Thomas Earl of Lancaster finds Piers Gaveston, places him under arrest, and drags him before the court. Meanwhile, Edward II is off uh, uh, thrown down in Scotland. Apparently, it was a very pitiable scene where Piers Gaveston weeped and wailed for his life, crying, throwing himself at the ground, um, uh, grabbing jurors by the, you know, the, the scuff of the, of the robes, looking at them and just like not taking it well. Mm-hmm. He, poor guy. He was um, just an absolute mess. He wailed for mercy. Um, Lancaster uh, took him up to uh, Blackholm Hill and had one man run him through with a sword and another man chop off his head hmm. and left him there. And he was not going to be buried because he was an excommunicate. Ouch. Yeah. So um, uh, the story is, is that after a couple of days, uh, some Dominican monks came, g- uh, got his body, sewed his head back on and uh, kept him safe to give to the king for proper burial. But Lancaster had now done something that um, had not really been done in England. He had used kind of um, not real charges to kill a political opponent. Um, Somebody who, yes, had wielded a lot of political power that he had no right to. He just had the king's favor. Um, but like, you know, whatever you think about Piers Gavison, what he did, and he was an arrogant man who, who completely you know, thumbed his nose at everything that was sacred in the kingdom. Um, He was a noble who had been murdered. Yeah, you couldn't call it anything else but murder. Right. Okay. Um, So these were super sketchy charges. And now now violence was a political tool in England. The Pandora's box had been opened. um, And that Pandora's box was not going to be closed for a long time. Um, Enter the rage and wrath of Edward II. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So... Let's go. So, meanwhile, in Scotland, so while this whole intrigue and banishing and finding and beheading was going on, Edward II was up in Scotland fighting Robert the Bruce. His father had fought a younger Robert the Bruce, and his father, did he fight Robert the Bruce? I can't remember. His father had beaten the Scots at the famous Battle of Falkirk. and uh, the way that he did this was he, his father, Edward I, uh, deployed his archers perfectly and used his archers to destroy the pikemen, the, 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 the famous pikemen of Scotland. The, so Scots were really good at like killing you with a stick. Big long pointy stick. And and cavalry. But aren't arrows, arrows also pointy sticks too? Arrows are okay, pointy good. sticks. Okay. They're flying pointy Smaller, sticks. Smaller, faster yeah. pointy sticks. That's um, yes. They're so, not a two-handed pointy stick. Yes. Also true. So when you have, so when you think about, you know, war in the Middle Ages was kind of like a big game of rock, paper, scissors. So... Arrows would kill horses. Well, that's not really true because if your horses got into the archers, the horses would have a field day. So pikes would kill. Anyway, horses. No, nothing killed horses. Okay, um, great. Okay. I think pikes get horses. Yeah, you can, pikes get you horses. You can anchor them in the ground mm-hmm. and then drive it into the horse. Yeah, pikes get horses. And um, you can reach up to the horsemen, which was the problem with swords. Um, knights can can get pikemen because knights can kind of get in behind pikemen, and you know pikes can't really do close handed. Arrows. Um, can get knights because if you can shoot the knights before they get to you. So the the whole game of war was when do you deploy what kinds of troops when? 
Yeah. When do you do cavalry charges? Uh, when do you have arrows? When do you send in your knights on foot, your knights on horses? When do you have your little like dudes wearing their red t-shirts with their pointy sticks? You know, like these are your, uh, your sort of foot soldiers. So his father was, well, gr- you're telling me that in, they have red t-shirts for the guys that they send in as sort I'm, of cannon fire. I assume uh-huh. that. Is, yeah, this, I, 100%. is this what Star oh, Trek is Star Trek is based from? Yeah. No, I just, I'm taking it from Star Trek and He's, applying it to the middle ages. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, was, I was hoping that Star Trek had no, no, taken it from there. No. Send so in the better. red shirts. No. <laughs> They're first. Anyway. Does anyone know their names? No, so sir, no. his dad was really good at deploying troops at the right time. And he won the battle of Falkirk, essentially crushing the Scots for the rest of his reign. This was the battle of what was known as Bannockburn. And the um, oh. and Bannockburn, which is, yes, there's a church here in, in Austin called Bannockburn Church, which, I mean, takes its name from, is it Presbyterian? I guess not. I don't think so. Anyway, takes its name from this battle. Um, so Robert the Bruce at the Battle of Bannockburn um, um, did what all Scots do against British cavalry. He got a bunch of pointy sticks, buried them in the ground, and when the cavalry was about to descend upon the knights, they lift up their pointy sticks, and the cavalry can't stop, and they all crash into the pointy sticks, and the cavalry charge is destroyed. Hmm. Um, Robert Bruce did this very well. The Battle of Bannockburn ended up being a bloodbath and being Hmm. a resounding victory for the Scots. In fact, the Scots killed some of the best Christian knights in the land, the third best Christian, most valorous Christian knight in all of Christendom was killed at the Battle of Bannockburn. Um, he saved Edward II's life. I can't remember his name. It was some um, some French name. Um, but he saved Edward II's life, sort of got him to the back lines and got him to freedom, and then turned around and went back into the fray and was hacked to death. Wow. Um, many Christian knights were squished as their... Um, their cavalry charges uh, ended up sort of um, crushing up against a wall that didn't break. And so the next horses came and the next horses came and the next horses came and the people got squished between horses and horses. And a lot of the flowers of Christian chivalry were killed at the Battle of Bannockburn. It was not, it was, it was uh, a terrible, terrible, terrible defeat um, for Edward II. Um, Robert the Bruce ends up becoming King of Scotland and Edward II's like, fine, you can have it and goes back to England because he's got... Things to take care of, mm. including his fast and wicked, like wrathful revenge over Thomas Earl of Lancaster. <coughs> Pardon me. Wow. <coughs> Graham is currently overcome with emotion. So, <laughs> Lancaster is now essentially the de facto leader of a rebellion against the king because the king is wroth. But Lancaster says, and this is this happens a lot in in these British. Um, in these English um, sort of civil wars where the person who was against the king would say, well, I'm not against the crown. I'm doing this for the crown. Mm -hmm. And then the king would say like, well, the crown's super ticked at you. (laughs) Um, And he's like, no, I'm doing this for the realm. I'm doing this for the crown. So they sort of abstract the crown from the man. The man doesn't want this, but the person who is, quote, in rebellion thinks that he's doing this um, for the kingdom, so he's he he justifies. So Lancaster justifies his actions of trying to save England, not being in rebellion. Um, Edward II does not see it as that way, and he sees Lancaster as being in open rebellion. So Lancaster and his close allies, the family Mortimer, including a young, handsome Robert Mortimer, um, and old old Daddy Mortimer, whose name I can't remember. So Lancaster and Mortimer end up being in civil war against Edward II. 
And Edward II has an, another strong noble family that comes alongside him in his hour of need, the Dispensers, which I is sort like of this, an unfortunate name, right. like they're dispensable. But right. I feel like this really escalated fast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it went to yes. civil war real quickly. Yes. Well, all of these, so, I mean, I, I kind of brushed over, but all of these injustices of Piers Gaveston and the hollowing out of this strong noble families had been happening over the course of like 15 years, oh, I would say. for a long time. Okay. Um, so he's just sort of funneling power to yes, peers. And- he's funneling power to peers and making a mockery of the nobility of his uh, of his nobles. And, um, um, and then Lancaster has this huge power base and, um, and also a claim to the throne. He's a descendant of Henry III. So there's whisperings like, man, Edward II kind of sucks at being king. He just lost Scotland, and um, uh, and this, you know, T- Thomas Earl of Lancaster is pretty awesome. So mm. people flocked to him, and so Thomas Earl of Lancaster really thought, you know, he was like, oh, I'm protecting the throne, but deep down he hoped that the people would say, you should be king. You have a claim to the throne, and you should be it. So he goes and open rebellion. Uh, Edward II gets his new friends, the Dispensers, including Hugh Dispenser. Uh, and Hugh Dispenser ends up Hugh. Hugh, yeah, <laughs> poor guy. Um, Hugh ends up being um, the new favorite of Edward II. He kind of fills the place of Piers Gaveston, but oh. he's not nearly as charismatic. He's not nearly as cunning. He's not nearly as smart. Um, but Edward II, <laughs> you could say he dispensed with the trappings, yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, but anyway, so he comes in. So we have the Dispensers with the king, and we've got the Lancasters and the family Mortimer. So the Civil War happens, and. Um, Lancaster, Thomas Earl of Lancaster, gets captured in a battle. Oh, no. And the dispensers um, put him on trial. Do they dispense with him? They dispense with him. In fact, so while this had been going on, Lancaster had built this tower that was basically like a big old jail. And he had secretly told all of his friends that one day I'm going to have Edward II in that tower. Oh, my. I'm going to take over the kingdom and Edward II is going to be in that tower and I'm going to be king of England. Um, so this became an open rumor. So when the dispensers captured him, they put him in his own tower that he had built for capturing Edward II. They tried him for treason, and they chopped off his head. So the year we're talking mm. about is 1321 is when his head got chopped off. Okay. Uh, Thomas Earl of Lancaster was so beefy and brawny <laughs> and like a mountain of a man that it took three axe hits Ugh. to take his head off. Ugh. Anyway, so... Um, Jeez Louise, yeah. that's awful. Yes. So... To, to they, have your dad... Yeah. No, just the not doing it in one swoop. Yeah. I, I think that's why the guillotine was such a move forward mm-hmm. is because but, you couldn't always... But it didn't work. Oh, yeah, because it didn't work every time. The guillotine didn't work every time either. But it was better. It, it worked a far higher percentage of the time than just swinging an axe, which mm-hmm. was not very consistent. Mm-hmm. So Lancaster's defeated. Edward II is back in full control, but he is in revenge, bloodthirsty mode. He full on murders 20 more nobles. He kills 20 noblemen, and this completely shocks the kingdom. Um, that they're in open civil war. Edward II kills 20 nobles. Um, and Dispenser is now in that sort of power place where Piers Gaveston had been. Dispenser is now the new favorite. Hmm. Okay. Enter Isabella. Okay. Queen Isabella. Who has been growing and seething about her Who has been growing and right. seething about her stolen wedding, wedding presents and about <laughs> her uh, that coronation that went so wrong. And she had been sort of ignored her whole life. So she has a child. She has a, a child with Edward II. So mm-hmm. they have there's an heir named Edward. <laughs> so she has this little child. Um, and she 
has just been biding her time, and there has been um, sort of uh, all of these um, um, these terrible sort of indignities that she has had to suffer, and she is lonely, and she is angry, and she's a foreigner in a foreign place, and her husband's a terrible person. He's murdering nobles, and enter handsome Robert Mortimer. Oh no, Robert Mortimer comes in uh, and is introduced to Ilibe- uh, Isabella. Isabella yeah. And she is quite taken with him. <laughs> and she takes him as her lover. And they fall in love. Just, that's her, like her prerogative? She can just be like, I pick you. Yes. And Yoink. Yes. And yeah. so she takes him as her lover. But apparently he was quite charming and mm-hmm. handsome. And all of it, he was like, you know, this, this, this person that paid attention to her and, and lavished some sort of attention and love upon her while her husband was, a, you know, was a doofus. So she falls in love with Robert Mortimer. Robert Mortimer, a bad guy. <laughs> you know, like he's just had a civil war against her husband. He wears hmm. leather jackets. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. this guy. And he, so he comes Rides rolling in and she just finds him irresistible. And so um, uh, the king hears about this and he's not too thrilled, but he can't kill his, he's not going to do anything right. about it. She takes Edward II and follows Robert Mortimer into exile in France. Wow. So Robert Mortimer, it's like, I got to get out of here. Lancaster's dead and I got to leave. Um, Sorry, that's, she's take the son, right? So mm-hmm. Edward, Edward the third. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she, her new son, her son Edward, who is going to be Edward the third. He's yeah. Edward, Prince of Wales. No, that's later Edward. Anyway, so she takes him and goes to France. Uh, her and Robert Mortimer, and they kind of, um, yeah, they they go to France and, um, consolidate all their money, and talk to the king of uh, France, and get an army. And then the king of France dies. Oh, you can just buy those? Yes, you can buy an army. <laughs> wow, yep. okay. Huh. Mercenaries. Okay. The king of France dies. Are you, you in the market or something? Leaving <laughs> for sale. Yeah, you are, mm-hmm. yeah, just buy an army. The king of France dies, leaving um, uh, no heir. So there's a bit of a power vacuum in France. Isabella has a claim to the throne, but no one would accept, the France would not accept a female queen. Mm. And then there's some, like, cousins and all these sorts of things. So there's a king that comes up, and no one's real convinced that he should be king. But there's there, he just sort of is king, and I don't know too much about what happens in France, but know that there is kind of a tenuous hold on the French crown at this point. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Isabella um, and her lover, Robert Mortimer, um, gather an army. <laughs> and they... And invade England. Yes, they, of course. Good. So Love it. they get their army together. She brings her son, Edward III. Did did Edward know that all of this, Edward II knew where she was, or did she just sort of disappear? She disappeared, and then uh, he knew that Robert, he had, you know, Robert Mortimer had taken off, and he assumed that she went with him. And so this, you know... So when she jilted, shows back up, he's like, honey. Yeah, and she's like, I got an army. So she invades England. <laughs> I didn't with, know things were so weird between us. With some of the crackest troops of the Middle Ages, like the best uh, soldiers. The crackest? Is that what you just said? Yeah, like crack... A crack team, but I don't. I don't believe you can make the that superlative. Uh, nope, still not. Nope, I don't think this is a thing. <laughs> it's giving me a very different picture of what that army yeah, looks like. Yeah, troops, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's like crack falling troops. apart literally. Yeah, yeah, no. So she comes in with some of these best troops that money can buy uh-huh. and invades England, and everyone in England freaks out uh-huh. because there are foreigners who and and a bloodthirsty rage queen coming back to get what's <laughs> wow. hers. Okay, how old is she at this point? Um, they're in their like 40s. 30, 40? Yeah. Yeah. Um, She's so younger she, than he is. No, maybe th- younger than that. Um, and her, her boy's like, you know, 10, 12. Oh, okay. Edward so the it's, third. it's been a while. 
Mm. Yeah. So she's back and she's full of rage and she's ready to throw down. Uh, Edward II and the dispensers try to flee. Robert Mortimer captures the dispensers. Mm -hmm. the, and did, did he? Oh, he does. <laughs> he dispenses with them. Thank you. Thank he you. sets up the scene of their uh, trial. It's not really a trial, but he pretends it's a trial. To, be, to mimic beat for beat and word for word the exact scene of when Thomas Lancaster was killed. So, yes. That's kind of a cool move. It's kind of awesome. So they put Dispenser on trial and they behead him in the same way that they killed Lancaster. And so Mortimer feels like he avenged his buddy, Lancaster. Mm -hmm. um, Edward II is, uh, tries to flee and he ends up getting captured. And... Um, I'm guessing everything turns out all right for him. Like, yeah, yes. everything works out. Yeah, yeah. Everything's right. just fine. They put him um, in a nice, luxurious room, and they take Robert care of him. Mortimer says, "We did this for you, King. We rid the realm of all of those bad, negative influences." And Edward the Second's like, "I hate you. <laughs> I want to kill you. You invaded my country." And Isabella's like, "No, my husband. I'm back, and we are here to right all of the wrongs of the kingdom." But the people don't like you, Edward. We want you to give power, abdicate and give power to your son, Edward III. And basically, at sword point, um, Edward II abdicates the crown and gives it to Edward III. Edward III is a 12-year-old boy. Isabella immediately puts Roger Mortimer as Edward's regent. So, Roger Mortimer now ends up being the de facto king of England, whereas Edward III is king. Um, and Edward II goes off into uh, retirement. Okay. Okay. So, he's not killed. He goes off into retirement. So, everything does work out for mm -hmm. him. Kind of, yeah. Um, when he abdicates the throne, um, the story is, is that as he abdicates, he is so overcome with grief and pain, he cries and has to be held up by the... by. Thomas Lancaster's son, who is now the Duke of Lancaster. And he has to be held up to give the crown and to say that he abdicates to his son. And his son is like, I think he's 14. Oh. So his 14-year-old boy is sitting there, given the crown of England, and his father is weeping and giving it to him and then goes off into, into captivity. And then, like, his mom's boyfriend is now his king of england his regent and he's That's like weird. i'm gonna raise you <laughs> okay so edward this edward the third is now king of england but roger mortimer is the de facto king all signs point to edward the third being not very good and being very weak but edward the third ends up being perhaps the best plantagenet king of all of them whoa okay. oh he is the best and we're not going to finish his story i'm just going to tell you the beginning of his story and then get up to the major conflict of his life and then we'll get to that later and another in part five so edward the third is king but roger mortimer is the real king and um so they immediately try to find a marriage for edward the third and they marry him to philippa of hainault now hainault is in what we now know as belgium and Philippa also has a pretty good tie to this power vacuum French throne. Oh, I was going to say, it seems like Belgium is not like a great... Yeah, no, but I mean, we know it as Belgium now. It was France then. Okay. Turns out that this is one of the best marriages oh. in all of the Middle Ages. Wow. That Edward III and Philippa of Hainault love each other. Oh. And they are a good example, Thomas, of your last podcast, you. where she ends up like giving him like seven kids and they're all great. Hmm. Um, and she is... They, a, they sing like... 
from mm-hmm. The Sound of Music. Yes. They all come down and they sing <laughs> yeah. together. Anyway, we'll talk about <laughs> their wonderful they, marriage in a second. But um, um, Roger Mortimer is king of, of England, essentially, and he's sort of wreaking justice and also revenge. And in 1327, it is announced that Edward II has died. Edward the Se- so one account says that Edward the II. This is Shortshanks. This is Shortshanks. This <laughs> yes, is the guy Piers yeah. Gaveston. So Edward the yes. Second has been killed while in captivity retirement. Mm-hmm. One account has it that he was actually smothered to death by Roger Mortimer. Okay. And the other one, and if you have children listening, you may want to skip ahead thirty seconds or so. We'll give you a second for that. And three, two. Alrighty. The other uh, version of it is that he was held down and they put a, uh, a, uh, a rod in fire until it was red hot and put it up his bum until it oh. killed him. Oh. So he was buggered to death. I don't like that. Oh. Is, uh, is the other account. But then there is a third account that he actually wasn't killed, that he escaped and lived ah. the rest of his life as a hermit in Italy. Okay. And no one knows okay. what happened. My guess is he was just killed by Roger Mortimer. Right. But Edward III realizes that Roger Mortimer has killed his dad. And even though he didn't like his dad, it was his father and he was the old king and that's a bad thing. And then as, so um, Edward III is um, at, I think he's like 17 and his wife is like 15 and she's pregnant. And um, it was a teenage wedding. I was no, I was kidding. Um, anyway, so she's pregnant. So this kind of actually creates a bit of a, a crisis in the kingdom you have a pregnant wife. You should be king in your own right. You don't mm. need a regent anymore. And Roger Mortimer is not giving up right. power. Of course not. So in comes one of the best features of Edward III's reign. Edward III had good and loyal friends. Oh. Um, one of his best friends was named Philip. Was it Philip Neville, I think, was one of his good friends? Anyway, so he had, he had just had like a group of bros. He sounds loyal. Yeah. Philip Neville. Neville. Yeah, that's a friend you can count on. So he had this group of bros around him and he the, the loyal friends that had his back and loved Edward III. And um, they were like, dude, your stepdad or your mom's boyfriend is going to kill you. Yeah. And he's like, okay, what are we going to do? And so they decided that it was time for Edward to be a king in his own right. And the only way to do this was to confront Roger Mortimer. And he knew that if he, uh, Roger Mortimer had the army, he had the knights, he had everything. So what they did was um, they, um, uh, and then yeah, something happened where it became open that Mortimer really had designs on killing Edward oh. III. He and wasn't very good at He wasn't it. very good. So he found his like email box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His, his inbox. His schedule. Yeah. His calendar. Yes. So Edward III gets all of his buddies together and in a midnight raid, well, one of his buddies ends up being the guy who owns the keys to Nottingham Castle, mm. and uh, uh, which is the castle that uh, Roger Mortimer is in and Isabella, um, Edward's mom. So all of his buddies and the guy with the keys break into the castle very quietly in the middle of the night, rush up to the stairs, kill the guards and capture Roger Mortimer 
the story had it that Edward III was standing in the, was standing back in the darkness while all of his his loyal bros were doing this, cool. and his mom came out in her bedclothes and was weeping and wailing for her son because she she knew that he was behind the capturing oh. of her lover. Hmm. Um, re- another really funny story about Nottingham Castle raid was that one of the bishops who was Roger Mortimer's buddy tried to escape by jumping down uh, the latrine, uh, the poop chute into <laughs> right. the moat uh-huh. and was captured or he got stuck. He got stuck and they had to fish him out of the poop chute. Oof. And then he was also uh, punished for his crimes against the crown. Yeah. Roger Mortimer is executed for treason. Isabel is not too happy, but she can't do anything about it. Roger Mortimer. Because also he deserved it mm-hmm. too. That's the other side of it. So Roger Mortimer is executed for treason and Edward III becomes king in his own right. And that scene of the Nottingham Castle kind of showed the theme of his reign. Close friends, bravery, somewhat recklessness, but uh, an intoxicating man. Someone he, he was he was good. He apparently was sort of jolly, loved the laugh, enjoyed parties, loved um, uh, sort of the good things in life, and had a wonderful relationship with his wife, Philippa. Um, he uh, uh, was a knightly king. So he loved tournaments. He would often fight in tournaments incognito. So he would dress up as like a lowly hedge knight and he would go into the tournaments. And then then when they would say, who's your name? He would say, my name is Sir Lionel. And Sir Lionel was like the weakest and lowliest (laughs) knight in King Arthur's court. (laughs) That's good. So Piers Gaveston and Roger Mortimer, when they set themselves, yeah, Roger Mortimer, when he set himself up as king, he said, I'm the new Arthur and did this Mm. whole thing about being the new King Arthur. Now Edward III is actually king and he's setting himself up as the lowest Mm. knight in King Arthur's court. So he's kind of taking the joke that his stepfather was going to be king and he was going to be nothing and he ends up turning it into his glory. Mm. So he takes on this mantra of Sir Lionel. He ends up naming his third child, his third son, Lionel. And he kind of uses this, uh, I'm the weakest, um, as kind of his new glory. He is actually the strongest and he's good. During his reign, this is when um, uh, Geoffrey Chaucer writes Canterbury Tales mm-hmm. during the reign of Edward III. Um, and, um, and so Edward III tried to f- uh, fabricate his life around the nine, what were called the nine worthies. Um, the pagan rulers, Hector, Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar, the three Hebrew kings, David, uh, Joshua, or the three, not kings, warriors, Joshua, David, and Judas Maccabees, and um, the three Christian kings, Arthur, Charlemagne, and Godfrey of Bouillon, who was the king of, the first king of Jerusalem. He studied these men's life, and he tried to apply their virtues to his own life. He, all he wanted to be was good and noble and virtuous and do tournaments. This was a time of feasting. This was a time of, of flowers and springtime and gardens. Um, this was a time of chivalry and storytelling and great mirth and wine drinking. And this was, this was a peaceful, wonderful, happy time. Edward III is a good king ruling well. It is a beautiful thing to behold. Um, his son is this. Mm. Is Scotland still its own kingdom at this point, um, or have they taken it back? Uh, Edward the Third ends up taking back Scotland and installing a king that was favorable to him. But then that king got beaten, and then Scotland allied with France, and that's a problem. Mm. Anyway, so Edward the Third has a son named Edward, um, who ends up he gives Edward really this prince. On this. Yeah. He gives him the Duke of Cornwall. 
So he gives mm. the dukedom ah, of Cornwall back to the prince. So he's doing it how it should be. Doing it how it should be, and basically saying, never again will Cornwall be given to a lesser man. My son, Edward, Prince of Wales, is now Duke of Cornwall. Um, we're not... Um, the Black uh, Edward, uh, Prince of Wales, ended up being known as the Black Prince because he he fought in all black hmm. armor, and um, his story is coming will come at another time. I'm just going to end with setting up the next phase of Edward III's life. Um, he had six kids in ten years, which is like good job, Philip. <laughs> um, and he ended I'm up surprised that everybody survived. Mm-hmm. This was right, not right, a right, period right. Yes. of. You know, low child mortality. And France is in a giant power vacuum. The king of France has a very weak, tenuous hold to the crown. And Edward III has a big claim on the French crown through his mother, Isabella. Um, one, uh, one day when England is running and purring smoothly, um, he goes to Ghent, which is in France, is in Belgium. And he, and he is making a big announcement. And he unveils the new crest of his family. And it is the three lions of England, on the, the golden lions on the red background, flanked by two blue and gold fleur-de-lis, mm. the colors and the symbol of the French crown. And he stands up in front of all of the flowers of chivalry. And he is an admired man in France and in England. And he stands up and he says that I am going to go to war against the weak king Philip of Valois, who claims to be the king of France. And I am the new king of France. Wow. And Edward III, with his son, who was the Black Prince uh, at the head of his armies. So Edward III was himself a great warrior. The Black Prince had grown up to be a wonderful warrior. Him and his son, the Duke of Cornwall, stand up to say, I am the new, I am the king of France. And thus begins the, the 100, 100 Year years. War. Yeah. So the year is 1340. Edward III sees so nothing. Less until 1440. Yes, <laughs> Edward III sees nothing but glory and battle and uh, uh, and you know um, just uh, the, um, the the renown that could be upon him as King of England and King of France. Finally, merging those countries together um, that had been so often intertwined ever since the Duke of Normandy, William invaded England back in 1066. So, That's Edward good. III stands up ready to unite these two kingdoms and thus begins the Hundred Years' War. And that's where we're going to end with the, uh, with the with the the reign of Edward III and we'll pick it up next time. But, oh man, he is awesome. Oh man, I'm jazzed. This is awesome. It'll be great. And we're only up to, yeah, we're only up to the mid-1300s. Yep, 1340s. We got, oh, there's lots of great stories to come. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add before we... I mean, I'm just thinking of takeaways. Yeah. Like, Edward II's life is real sad and bloodthirsty and seeds are being sown of things that are going to come later in the future of just sort of wanton murder and... and Remember, all of Europe was stunned when Thomas Beckett was murdered in the cathedral and that kind of stopped political life in England. Whereas, when Piers Gaveston is beheaded, it is a nobleman being murdered, but... I mean, it just ends up kind of being, you know, not really like people were sort of like, oh, that's kind of mm. kind of sucks. But it doesn't end up being this this sort of devastating event like other murders had been. Anyway, it's um, that is the story of poor Edward II 
and his awesome son, Edward yeah. III, That's and cool. the Black Prince, which is just like the coolest name if you can think of a name. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Okay, I, I, have a, I have a quote that this it. reminded me of from my commonplace, and it's from Moby Dick, mm-hmm. and it's about strength and beauty. And I was thinking about the, the interplay between you know, strength and virtue this whole time, right? A, a strong king with no virtue is a tyrant. A king with virtue and no strength is a problem. And so it reminded me of this quote from Moby Dick. Real strength never impairs beauty or harmony, but often bestows it. And in everything imposingly beautiful, strength has much to do with the magic. Kind of cool. It's good. Cool. All right. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Thanks, Graham. That was great. If you want to find us online, you can send us an email at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can find us on Twitter at classicalstuff on Twitter. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. That is our website. And AJ picks out really cool artwork for each of the episodes. So you can go check those out. Uh, they are they are all there. I think that is everything that we have. So for Graham, AJ, and Thomas, this is Classical Stuff signing off. Bye. Cheers. Bye.